Amen. We've been looking at uh, the, uh, the Beatitudes. The title of this series of messages is The Beatitudes, an Anecdote to Comfortable Christianity. And uh, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus was with his disciples and with his followers, and they went up on a mountainside, and there Jesus sat down and began to teach them. And uh, it's an incredible message. And the beginning of this sermon is this uh, list of statements Jesus made that each uses the term blessed, and uh, we call those the Beatitudes. Now, in order to really capture what uh, is happening here, as is true with so many parts of the Bible, we need to catch something of of the context that it happened in. The Bible isn't just a, a random list of, of uh, kind of uh, moralizing stories or, or, or uh, particular teachings. It is, in essence, a, a big story that starts right at the beginning of time and ends up uh, with a new heaven and new earth where righteousness reigns supreme and Jesus is fully the king in every conceivable way and he rules and reigns in great power throughout eternity, and His people, all of us who put our trust in Him, will be with Him forever. That big story is told us in Scripture, and and when we come to any piece of Scripture, any passage, it helps to know what surrounds that passage, because it gives us a lot of information in how to understand what's being said. And that's certainly true of the Sermon on the Mount. There's very many, there's a great number of different um, approaches to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, There's a lot of different ways that it's looked at, but I think if we just take a moment to read a little bit of the story just before Jesus gives this great sermon, it will help us see the context. So if you have a Bible and like to turn with me to Matthew 4 and verse 23, we're going to read the lead up to this uh, sermon. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, that's the lead up into this Sermon on the Mount. Here uh, we see Jesus. He is, is traveling with his disciples all around Galilee, the region of Galilee, preaching the good news, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, of of, of God's royal and gracious rule over all things. And, and, And he's healing all kinds of diseases, people with all kinds of sicknesses and afflictions, and those who are possessed by demons are being brought to Jesus, and he's healing them all. He's manifesting, he's demonstrating what his kingdom really looks like. And so here is the scene. A great multitude of people 
are around Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're listening to what he says. And a lot of them are really dealing with very big problems in their life. There's a lot of deeply troubled people in this group of followers of Jesus. And they're being brought to Jesus and they're being delivered by the power of Jesus. And there's all kinds of people, all kinds of races in this group and cultural backgrounds in this group. There's, there's Syrians in the group. There are Jordanians from Decapolis on the other side of Jordan uh, in this group. There are uh, all kinds of Greek-speaking Gentiles uh, in this group, along with Jewish people from Judea and Jerusalem. They're there. It's a mixed multitude of needy and broken people from nearly everywhere around that whole region, and they found their way to Jesus. They heard about what Jesus was saying and doing, and they were coming, and they were listening to what he had to say, and many of them carried in their lives really terrible situations. That's the picture. So don't think this is just a bunch of nice people whose life is just dandy. These are messed up people. By the way, that's pretty much what we've got here today. And now Jesus starts this message. And let's read. I just want to take time to read through the Beatitudes. We're going to focus in on one particular one, but it helps to see these statements Jesus made as a whole, a whole grouping. We, we, before we look at the little piece, we want to look at the bigger, bigger piece, and we'll be doing that as we go along through this series. So in verse 2 of chapter 5, Jesus begins to speak. He opens his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here, uh, Jesus opens up this sermon with this list of statements about God's blessing. And, uh, and it's important that as we look at these, as we mentioned, that we see they're interconnected with each other, and we'll be seeing that as we go. Last week, Ian talked to us about blessed are the poor in spirit here, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and he talked about how uh, there's... Uh, they're, they're, these are people who are broke down. These are people who are bankrupt in, in all kinds of ways. They're, 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 they're bankrupt spiritually. They're bankrupt in their lives. And they're totally dependent on needing help. Per, a person who is in deep poverty cannot get themselves out of it. They've got to have help. They've got to have someone stronger and greater than they are help them. And, and, uh, and so they're in need. And they're dependent. And Jesus says, I'm going to bring them into my kingdom. 
I'm going to bring them into my kingdom. That's the blessing. If you're strung out and messed up, addicted and helpless, Jesus says, I want to bring you into my kingdom and change your life. And that brings us to the next one, and that's the one uh, we're going to focus on this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's our focus this morning. A word blessed, or blessed, being blessed, is used used nine different times in this passage we just read. And it's, uh, it's a word that's used literally hundreds of times through Scripture. It's it's, it's uh, one of the big, big words of the Bible. And it, it speaks of, actually, we get a good definition of the word blessed in the very first story of the Bible, Genesis 1, the story of the creation of the universe. And as you read through, and when God created all the animals and when he created the first man and the, and the first woman, he, he blessed them. And what did he say? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with your own kind. (laughs) So, there you get a glimpse, a pretty strong glimpse, of what this blessing of God looks like. It leads to fruitfulness. It was God's proclamation over all the members of the animal kingdom and over the first man and woman and humanity. He blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, now this term, this language, uh, uh, actually Jesus is using the same word here as he speaks these Beatitudes. It's, he's not talking about something that we do in order to get uh, this, this blessing. He's talking about God's proclamation, his proclamation over us that leads us and causes us to become fruitful. Multiplying your own kind is not meant to be hard work. It comes as a joy. Right? I mean, get the picture? It's, It's not something we earn. It's not something we say, well, if we work hard enough, we'll be rewarded. It's something that comes because of God's proclamation over us that touches our humanity in some wonderful ways and romance comes into the picture. Okay? So that's... Jesus is not saying here now, hey, listen, if you work hard enough, you're going to get blessed and this will be what will happen. No, really not saying that. Jesus is saying... Here's what's happening here. I'm flinging the doors of my kingdom. Remember, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom everywhere. He said, I'm flinging the doors of my gracious and wonderful kingdom wide open to anybody who will just receive it and enter in at my invitation, come right on in, and these are the blessings that I'm proclaiming over you. Okay? That's important. So... Try to take that, put that in the bank. Okay, so, now in this second beatitude, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus undoubtedly uh, got in his mind 
Isaiah 61 here, and if, if, we'd, if you'd like to turn in your Bible, I'd like to just read that because it so parallels what Jesus says here, and undoubtedly Jesus is thinking about this passage, Isaiah 61 and, uh, and verse three, 1 through 3. It says this, the, and, uh, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of uh, a, a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. And as I think of the worship this morning at our time and the prayers prayed, so many of these elements we're in what has already come this morning uh, in, the, in the various things that have been contributed and shared. And so Jesus used this very passage of Scripture at the beginning of His ministry in His hometown in the synagogue there in Nazareth. He, he quoted this passage of Scripture and then He said an incredible statement. He spoke up loudly and said, Today, this Promise has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said that. Why would he say a thing like that? Because he was there. He's the one who the Spirit of the Lord was upon. He was the Messiah, the Christ. And all of these things that are spoken of by Isaiah hundreds of years before were literally coming to pass with Jesus' presence upon the earth. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to think about. Now, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word mourn here in the Greek language is about the strongest word you could find in the original Greek that the Bible, the New Testament was written in about the strongest word for mourning that you could find in that language. It's the Greek word pentheo or something along that line. And, and it's a very strong word that means a grief, a grief that's too deep and too controlling to hide. It, it's, it's something that you can't conceal when you're mourning the way Jesus is the word he uses here. It, it's, it's often connected in the Bible with weeping and wailing. Mourning, weeping, and wailing. Now my question to you is, does that sound like a blessing? No, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like a blessing at all. And in and of itself, mourning is no blessing. It's often used in, uh, in, in Hebrew uh, in the Old Testament as well as Greek in the New. It, that, that word, that terminology is often used concerning the mourning of the death of a loved one. The kind of deep grief that happens when someone very dear to you is now gone into the grave. 
It may, it may speak of a person who is subjected to incredible injustice and they're pressed down, they're, they're, they're oppressed. And everything that would look like any kind of freedom at all has been taken away and they're slaves. It, it can speak of the deep sorrow of the soul in someone who realizes the magnitude of their wrongdoing and their actions. And, and suddenly they realize, I've completely destroyed my life by my own actions. That leads to a kind of mourning that's deep. But the word comfort, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And here's the good news part. Comfort is, a, again, is to, to take the, the meaning of the, the Greek word parakaleo, means to encourage and strengthen by consolation, to refresh, to renew, to bring help. And uh, it speaks of health and healing and help and recovery in relationship to God here. So Jesus says the mourners were going to be comforted. Why? Because... Because Jesus was there. Here's a big crowd of people on the mountainside listening to Jesus. Jesus is among them. And he said, I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to do something in your life. Jesus was aware of all the pain in that crowd. There was thousands there probably. And Jesus was aware of all the pain in that crowd because he, he was God made man and he understood these kind of things in ways you and I don't get. We just get an inkling of what it's like. But Jesus knew all the tragedy, all the grief, all the pain in that crowd. He was aware of it. And he knew about the mourning in the lives of that, those that were there that day. And he, was, he knew he was able to bring new life and healing to each and every one of them. He knew that. And so out there in that crowd, there was probably a, a young mother back there in the crowd somewhere weeping because she had just lost her little infant son to a sickness. Infant mortality rate was extremely high in those days. About 50% of the children who were born died before they were 10 years of age. So it was everywhere. Death was pervasive, especially the death of babies and children was pervasive. And undoubtedly in that crowd there were numerous young mothers who were grieving the loss of a little one. And their hearts were broken. may have been a young man there who just found out he has leprosy. Or in today's world, just found out he was HIV positive. And he just didn't know how he was ever going to be able to share this with his family and friends. He understood that this condition that I now have is going to alter and change my life and it's like a death sentence on me. 
There was probably some there that were refugees that had had to flee. Someone who had had to flee from the tyranny of a cruel political machine. And her future had been crushed. Her future dreams had been destroyed. And she is there alone and helpless. And she mourns deeply at her loss. There was most likely a man out there in the crowd who has mistreated his wife and family, perhaps his co-workers or employees. He realizes now, I have really hurt a lot of people in my life. And there's a deep mourning that now is in his soul, a deep shame upon his soul that he can't shake, he can't get rid of it. I can relate to that one. I know from personal experience what that feels like. But here's the good news. I have received the comfort that only God can bring through his forgiveness and his redeeming power. Jesus didn't come to give us a set of principles so we can be better people. No, he speaks to the deeply broken that can't do anything to improve themselves to any degree that looks anything like salvation. And he says, I'm going to bring you into the wholeness and into the deliverance and into the strength and into the healing and and into the life of my glorious kingdom. And I'll do what you could never do. I'll bring comfort to you in your misery. I'll meet you. That's what Jesus was doing that day there on that mountainside with that crowd of people. And that's what he's doing here right now. Right now. You might say, well, my pain, my grief, my sorrow, my mourning is just too deep. Jesus is here. His Spirit is here to do something you can't do on your own. Jesus promised his disciples that He was going to send the Holy Spirit after his ascension into heaven to do the very same thing in in, in their lives that he was doing then and there. Except now, his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would be inside of them working, doing stuff. He said, it's better. It's better for me to go away because the Father will send the Holy Spirit to do what I do. 
Jesus on his final trip to Jerusalem with his disciples before he was going to go to that cross, that cruel, awful cross, that godless cross, that cross that was built and made by a political machine to dehumanize a person to the degree that their name and meaning as a person was erased and nothing is left but shame. That's what the cross was all about. And Jesus was going to die that death for our liberation, to break us free from the power of our own sin and and the death that is pervasive, the death that that, that just is simply everywhere, and it is all of our experience sooner or later. Jesus came to change all that. But during that time, when Jesus made this final trip to Jerusalem, just before he went to Calvary to die on that cross, Jesus gave his disciples a promise that was going to take place. And 1 John 14, 16 is the promise. It says, I will ask, he's saying, after I'm risen from the dead and after I've ascended to be with the Father in heaven, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And he'll never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit, and he'll lead you on. He'll lead you into truth. Another helper. That term helper is the same word. The verb comfort comes from the word the verb comfort, but it's the noun version of the word comfort, comforter, helper. It's, it's a hard one to translate in English because sometimes we use the word comfort as kind of a now, 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 you're going to be okay. But it's not that. It's something powerful and, and, and vibrant and strong that changes a person's life. The comfort of God, the the the, the what only God can do. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter, another helper, helper, or another advocate. Any one of those could be the translation of this term, parakletos. And it's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. And he said, he's just like me. I'm going to send you another comforter, just like me. And now he will dwell inside of you. And he'll lead you on. And he'll renew you and make you alive in the things of the kingdom of God. Very next day, Jesus went to the cross after that uh, promise that he gave. He shed his own blood. He died and was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And the great victory over sin and death was won. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared numerous times to his disciples over a 40-day period, and he told them all kinds of things about his glorious and gracious kingdom, which was on the brink of coming in new force, new power into the world. 
And just before Jesus ascended into heaven to be with the Father, he said to his disciples, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until you receive the gift my Father promised. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, immersed, dunked, drenched with my Spirit, the Holy Spirit, very soon now. It's interesting that today's Pentecost Sunday, I just found that out this morning, and I prepared this message without even knowing it was Pentecost Sunday. But what better day to be talking about this? Pentecost came. Ten days later, after Jesus ascended, Pentecost came, which was a feast day in Israel. And the Holy Spirit came in power that day. Like a, like a mighty wind blowing. And there were visible tongues of fire resting on his disciples. And they all began to speak with other languages by the Spirit and giving praise to God and telling the wonderful works of God in all kinds of different languages. Many understood them that day because there were people there from all over the world, all over the known world at that time. Now, that, same, that, was a, that was the baptism in the Spirit that Jesus had promised would come. It started out on the day of Pentecost, but as you read the story of the church through the book of Acts, you see that this baptism of the Spirit kept happening time and time again among all those who were, who were coming to follow Jesus. He was baptizing them one after the other in the Spirit. And it continues to this present time. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been filled with the Spirit, flooded with the Spirit, drenched with the Spirit. Maybe others of you, you've not really had that experience yet. I want to tell you it's for you. It's for you. This same baptism with the Holy Spirit is still happening today. Those disciples, those disciples that got filled with the Spirit, they went through times of great persecution and suffering. Again and again, they came back to the Lord after deep difficulty, great persecution, and the Spirit of the Lord filled them afresh. And they were renewed afresh. And they were strengthened afresh to carry on, to continue on. Paul talks about this in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 1. If you'd like to turn there, 2 Corinthians 1. Paul tells of his experience regarding what happened to him going through a very deep time difficulty. He says in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. That's what Jesus is talking about there in this beatitude we're looking at. He's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. 
If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you, uh, that you share in our suffering and you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from an evil peril, a deadly peril, and we were and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our on your behalf on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now this is that's a a mouthful there concerning the comfort of God. And here Paul went through a terrible time that was directly related to following Jesus. It was directly related to the fact he was walking with Jesus. And he said, we went through a very, very difficult time. It was a burden too heavy for us to bear. We couldn't stand up under it. Have you ever been under a burden that just you can't bear it? Well, that's what Paul said he was going through in his walk with Jesus. He said, we gave up on life. We thought, this is it. We're done. We're finished. There's nothing triumphalistic about Paul, by the way. That's obvious here. He felt they were under, they felt as a team, they were under a death sentence and it was all over for them. That's what they believed and felt. But then he said, the God of all comfort came. I got good news for you. Maybe that's your story this morning. Maybe you're under a burden that's too heavy for you to bear. Paul was there. Many of you know what we're talking about here. And if you don't know what we're talking about, the chances are you will find out if you live long enough. There is a need to encounter the God of all comfort. And Paul said he came, he was able to raise us from the dead. He delivered us. The triune God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the God of all comfort. Paul said he's the Father of mercies. The Father is the Father of mercies. Jesus is our advocate, comforter, helper, says John in, in 1 John 2, 1. He is, and, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, the helper. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is the very presence of God here with us now. And He comes to flood our hearts with new strength and comfort and life. Paul says the comfort we receive in our affliction enables us to comfort others who are going through affliction. Do you realize that Christian ministry is this? You want to be a minister? Well, you are one if you're a believer. You're a Christian witness. 
and we're joined in, to God in his ministry by the Spirit when we receive comfort in the affliction that we face. And it happens time and again in life. I want to finish with one final story here. It's about a man named Dimitri. Dimitri was a follower of Jesus in the, former, in the Soviet Union. And he was arrested and thrown in prison because he had made a commitment to Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. And he began to tell his friends and neighbors about Jesus. And the next thing you know, he had a group of people coming to him to listen to stories about Jesus. Well, finally, the authorities arrested Dimitri and threw him in jail for his witness for Jesus. And he stayed in jail for 17 long years. And he was persecuted severely during that time. And Dimitri had a, 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 a practice in his life. He would worship the Lord every morning with a song. And as he was in jail, he did the same thing. He stood up in his cell. He lifted his hands to the Lord and he would sing a, this song of worship that meant a lot to him. He sang it every morning. And he would be receiving the, the strength of the Lord as he opened his heart in worship with that song. And he called that his heart song. Now, he was in a prison of 1,500 prisoners, most of them very hardened criminals. There were no other Christians in the prison. And during those years, he was beaten many times, but never would he deny his faith in Jesus, which is what they wanted him to do. His family, his, his, his wife and children, they also suffered greatly during those years. And one day, the guards came and told Dimitri that his wife had been murdered. And his children had been taken by the state and were under state control. And they said, Dimitri, we have ruined your home. We have taken your family away. They are gone. Great grief, great sorrow, great mourning overwhelmed Dimitri, and he gave up. He gave up. And he said, okay, you win. I'm done. I'm finished. I'll sign any confession you want me to sign. I just got to get out of this place and try to find my children. And the guards said, we'll prepare your confession tonight and tomorrow you will sign it and you'll be free to go after you sign your confession that we make for you. And that document was, was going to say, was going to say, you know, uh, uh, Dimitri would sign a confession saying, I'm not a believer in Jesus. I don't follow Jesus. I'm actually a paid agent by Western governments trying to destroy the USSR. And Dimitri said, bring the confession, I'll sign it tomorrow. Hundreds of miles away, Dimitri's wife, who was actually alive and with the children, Dimitri's wife and children and, and his brother also, they sensed by the Holy Spirit that Dimitri was in a great time of despair in that prison cell. They knew it inside. He's in a great 
time of deep mourning and despair. And they gathered together in, in a little circle and they began to cry out to God in prayer, out loud, loudly, praying for Dimitri in that prison cell. And miraculously, hundreds of miles away, Dimitri's ears were opened by the Holy Spirit and he heard them praying in his cell, praying for him. He heard them. He heard the voice of his wife. He heard the voice of his children and his brother crying out to God for him. And he felt the strength of God's Spirit. He felt the comfort of God in his soul. And the next morning when the guards came with the written confession for him to sign, Dimitri said, I'm not signing anything. And they demanded to know, what happened? What changed your mind? You made a commitment to sign these papers last night. And he said, during the night, God let me hear my wife and my family praying for me. I listened to them in the night. And you lied to me. I know my wife is alive. I know my children are with her. I know they're still following Christ. And I'm not signing anything. Well, they put him back in his cell. The persecution continued for some time longer. He was beaten again on various occasions. Finally, the guards were exasperated and they said, we're going to execute you, Dimitri. And they dragged him down the corridor through the center of that prison toward his execution. And a strange thing happened. 1,500 prisoners stood in their cells with their hands up and they sang the song that Dimitri had sung every day for the last 17 years. They sang that song like a choir to Jesus. And the guards turned loose of Dimitri in terror. It scared them. Too much of the presence of God for them. And they said to Dimitri, who are you? And he said, I am a son of the living God. And I follow Jesus. And the guards took him back to his cell. A little later, Dimitri was released from that prison and returned to his family. If you'd like to read that story and some others like it, let me recommend the book, The Insanity of God, by Nick Ripkin. This book was written as an anecdote to comfortable Christianity. And if you dare, if you have the courage, I recommend you buy this book and read it. It will do you good. Let's stand.